Christ our life. In a very real sense, this is a brief summary of God's economy. Christ, this is in the book of Colossians. This Christ is all-inclusive. He is extensive, universally vast. And he is the reality of every positive thing. So the designation or title here, Christ, denotes the Christ revealed specifically in this epistle. The Christ in whom all things were created. The Christ in whom everything holds together. The Christ who is the mystery of God. The Christ in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And on and on. And so the focus is on this wonderful person. Christ. Our in the exceedingly well-known prayer in Matthew 6, we say, Our Father. Now we say, Christ, our life. This means all of us as believers in Christ, regardless of our human origin, have the same life. And we are a corporate person. And this life is circulating through all of us. It's our life. So this is the life of the body of Christ. The life of the one new man. The life of the kingdom of God and its reality the life of the bride of Christ, the life of the new Jerusalem. One of the most comforting things when we have to experience the passing away of a dear brother or sister whom we love. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, that the dead in Christ will rise. Those who are still on the earth will be raptured. And we will all be together with the Lord. In 1968, 140 of us from North America visited Taiwan, Philippines, and Japan for the first time. And when we landed, there, was, there were hundreds of saints lined up 
they're visibly in the airport terminal with a huge banner, East and West are one in Christ. But then when we left Taipei four weeks later, I witnessed something I had never seen before, never occurred to me. Again, hundreds of saints are there to see us off. And we're walking you know, to the gate with saints on either side. And they were just weeping, weeping. The brother who was responsible for feeding us was just there with a towel, just weeping for us, saddened that we have to be separated. And I couldn't manufacture tears then. I didn't know what to do. I could just honor their expression. But there is just a yearning in the depths of our being for all the believers throughout all the ages, from every tribe and tongue and nation, for us to be together forever with the Lord. And this we will be. And then Christ our life. So this is the most personal and intimate of messages based on Colossians. Your life and my life, your life is you. If your life would be taken away from you, your body would be here. We would all have the sense you're not here. Yes, you can theoretically make a distinction between the person and the human life. But in actuality, your life is you. Now we are hearing from the apostle that Christ will be our life. So he is not something at a distance. He is not something around us or with us. He is us. And so when we reach this point, we are willing to open the depths of our being to this Christ and to the body. And once again, there's another deep longing that no part of my being will be untouched by the time I meet the Lord. I don't want to reserve any part, any area for myself. 
So, Lord, I come to you as an open vessel designed by the creating God to be such a vessel unto honor. The meaning of my life is to contain you for your expression. And I don't agree with anything in me that's not you. Anything the enemy injected into me, anything that got into me because of my transgressions, anything of myself or my natural life, I don't agree that any of this be allowed to remain, but that, Lord, you would shine the light everywhere and you would touch everything and work yourself into the fiber of my being. Not so that I would be a specially spiritual person, but that I would just simply be a member of the body of Christ, part of the new man, a citizen in the kingdom, and part of the corporate counterpart of Christ. And so this will be in our experience, gradual, level after level, But the decision as to how much the Lord can work himself into us rests with us. In Colossians 3, 16 or 15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ arbitrate in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly. Let. This is related to your giving permission. This is related to your will. The peace of Christ is here to be the arbitrator in your heart, to settle all problems disagreements, whatever, by peace. If there's no peace, then you need the cross. But we don't have to let this happen. To the extent to which we let the peace of Christ arbitrate, it arbitrates. The same thing with the word of Christ. Dwelling in you, the Greek word oikeo, make home in you. That word will settle in you, saturate you, permeate you. How much we let this happen is our personal decision. And in this matter, only an active decision Uh, is workable. Passive acceptance does not. Passive agreement 
doesn't accomplish anything. Suppose a brother and sister have been a very have had a very sweet and divinely human courtship, and they both have the common feeling the Lord is bringing us together. So he, the man, decides to propose. So he comes to her with a box, and in the box is a metal circle with a mineral on top. And then in whatever way he wants to do this, he says, will you marry me? I believe the Lord wants us together. I love you. Will you marry me? And she doesn't answer. She doesn't say no. She doesn't answer. And so now he doesn't know what to do, so you try it again. Will you marry me? No answer. So eventually, you close the box and you say, I'll take you home. Passivity equals spiritual death. We do not need to try to activate willpower, trying to draw on the power of the will to do something. But there must be the function of the will to make a decision. The Lord will never violate this principle. He only acts when we respond. So borrowing a verse (coughs) from Revelation 3, the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So first you hear my voice. And then you open the door. Because he will only respond to an active, positive decision. But let's suppose, we're using this metaphor, the door is open. He would still not enter in. He would knock. Maybe knock on the door frame. He would only come in when you hear him and and open to him and walk to the door and receive him. But the enemy is active the most when we are passive. And one of his major strategies is to make people passive. Some are passive by disposition. But the enemy would use alcohol, he would use drugs, he would use so many things to make you passive. And then he just enters in and goes as far as he can 
because there's no resistance. It's only when we are awakened and we realize what's happening and have a proper anger with him, then we exercise our will to evict him, to say, any ground I gave to you, I nullify that. So I hope this helps us see how crucial it is that we live before our beloved Lord as open vessels, actively open. And our basic spiritual exercise from morning to night is in this sequence. First, we turn our heart to the Lord. The spirit is within the heart. It's the inner man of the heart. The heart is our representative. So if we try to exercise our spirit, but our heart is not turned to the Lord, there won't be much benefit. And so it's just part of my living. Lord, thank you for today. I turn my heart to you in faith and in love. And then to exercise our spirit. Regarding turning our heart to the Lord, I'd like to insert something for the comfort and encouragement of certain sincere but rather subjective saints, you know, especially some sisters, but brothers are like this also, and that is you are praying, Lord, I turn my heart to you. And while you're praying, you're analyzing your own prayer. And so you're saying it, and then you're thinking it. Am I really opening my heart to the Lord? And so if that troubles you, here's a backup prayer. You can pray like this. Lord, cause my heart to turn toward you. You see, we are kind of a mysterious people. We believe in someone whom we've never seen. And we love someone whom we've never seen. The Lord said that I will be with you all the days. This is one of them. So he is here. He's been with us this weekend. He's in this meeting. His name is Emmanuel. I can say to him respectfully, good afternoon, Lord Jesus. We're having the final meeting of this little conference. We're all seeking you. We all love you. Now, we'll go through the outline step by step. Because this matter of Christ as our life is embedded 
in a certain context in the verses we read. So we need to begin to understand this. Don't condemn yourself if you don't understand everything just by hearing the message. But little by little, we will understand the elements of this. So point one says this. In order to experience Christ as our life, we need to see that we have one position, one life, one living, one destiny, and one glory with Christ. So since we need to see this, we ask the Lord to cause us to see this. So A says, our position is that we are in Christ. And we all need to see this. So we would never pray for this again, Lord, I want to be in you. We are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Whether you feel it or not, feeling's not the criterion, you are in Christ. And the Lord indicated in John 15 the sequence of our fellowship with him. He said, Abide in me, and I in you. Often, without realizing it, we reverse this. So I illustrate this way. I wake up in the morning. I don't know how you do it. Maybe you wake up charged with energy. You're like a hind let loose. You spring up from the mattress. I grope to consciousness. Now I'm more awake than asleep. Then I got to consider where I am. Where am I now? Okay, okay. Oh, oh, I'm in the UK. Okay. I'm in this time zone. And I, I, just, I just rarely wake up already just so much in the spirit. And I realize the first requirement is for me to exercise to be in Christ. I realize many of us would like this to happen and we'd like to reverse it. Lord, Abide in me. Lord, just dwell in me, move in me, bless me, anoint me, grace me, supply me, and then eventually I'll respond and I'll abide in you. But the problem is that's not what he said. He said, abide in me. So if we know we're in him and he's in us, then we need to exercise 
going against the feelings in our body and in our soul to exercise. I am in Christ. Because we are in him, we are where he is, sitting at the right hand of God. This is where he is. This is the position. Since we are in Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of God, the spiritual reality is we are sitting here with him. Apparently I'm standing on the platform, but in actuality I'm sitting with Christ in the heavenlies, looking down through the air to the earth. One, the Son's position is in the Father. We are in the Son, so we are in the Father. That's John 14.20. I hope this is dawning on some of us. When we worship the Father this morning, we were in the Father by being in the Son who is in the Father. And this is very intimate. Two, it is when we are in the Spirit that we are in Christ, in the Father, and in heaven, practically and experientially. And so, although in position, objectively, when I wake up, I am in Christ. I am in Christ experientially only when I exercise to be in spirit. This is where the reality is. Now, before I read the subpoints, I want to refer to Genesis 28, where Jacob had this dream of a ladder set up on the earth, reaching to heaven, and the angels of God descending and ascending. <coughs> then when he woke up, he was in awe. He said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So I want to focus on this utterance, gate of heaven. Do you experience the gate of heaven? Well, we need to go to John 1.51. And the Lord says to Nathanael that the heavens will be opened and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Not on the ladder, on the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the incarnated Son of God. This means the ladder is the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man. So in Hebrews 4, we are encouraged to come forward 
with boldness to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of help. But the throne of grace is in the holy of holies in the highest heaven and we're on the earth. That's correct. But the house of God, the dwelling place of God, we know from Ephesians 2, 22, is our spirit. So when we turn to our spirit, we enter into the house of God where the ladder is. And the ladder is Christ himself And this ladder, Christ himself, connects us through the heavenly holy of holies. And by abiding in our spirit, we enter into the glory of the Lord. We are in ascension. We're in the heavenly holy of holies. We are here. Once you touch this, begin to experience this, It will not lose its wonder, its mystery, but it will become very normal. And it will affect our daily living very much. It's when we are in this position with Christ that we are victorious and the enemy is under us. When we're not in the spirit, we're in the flesh, we're in the soul. And we are just on the earth, then we are serpent's food. He's on the dust. The position makes a tremendous difference. It settles the matter of any spiritual battle in the warfare. It's a matter of position. So we the Lord will train us and we will learn together no matter what our circumstances are. I mean this, no matter what is happening physically to us, how we feel, how how healthy we are, how much energy we have, what our mood is. We have a will that can make a decision. I will be in my spirit. And I will exercise my spirit. Now, the subpoints. There is a transmission taking place from Christ in heaven to us on earth by means of the all inclusive spirit in our spirit. When Brother Lee gave the life study training, on Hebrews, he was wonderfully energized. And, and many times he used this expression, pum, 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 pum. I'm just experiencing the pum, pum, pum. And it was obvious that he's in his 70s, but he's really energized. So I'm wondering, what does he mean by pum, pum, pum? What is pum, pum, pum? So eventually I began to understand a little and experience a little. 
that this is related to the transmission from the throne to our spirit. So now I think I know what Brother Lee means by pum, pum, pum. He means pum, pum, pum. <laughs> you don't have to try to define it. And this is for all of us. And whatever the situation is, the Lord who loves you, who's bearing you on his heart before God, is praying for you, interceding for you, ministering heaven into you, shepherding you. He knows where you are. He knows what's happening. So he sends a transmission from the throne right to your spirit. But you need to be in the spirit to sense this and receive this. Little B, the very Christ who is sitting on the throne in heaven, is also now in us. That is in our spirit, where the habitation of God is. So when we're in our spirit, we're in the house of God. <coughs> and in the house of God is the ladder, which is Christ. See, since today our spirit is the place of God's habitation, it is now the gate of heaven, where Christ is the ladder that joins us to heaven and brings heaven to us. So how sweet it would be if a married brother, he comes home, he asks how his wife is, <coughs> she doesn't say much, if anything, so you realize, uh-oh, something's going on. So she's sitting on the couch. You come and sit next to her. Take her hand. Put your arm around her and say, dear, let's go to heaven. Let's go to heaven. Let's go on a little trip together. And she opens her spirit. You pray a little bit, but you don't overwhelm her by your prayer. And then she begins to participate, and you're in heaven. Now I'd like to reverse this. I hope that the married brothers don't want to be macho and tough in spiritual things and say, I don't need no woman to help me go to heaven. <laughs> I want to declare I am willing any time for my beloved wife, who knows in an instant where her husband is, if you would come there and say, dear, let's go to heaven. Well, I don't feel like it. Let's go to heaven. So I end up in heaven. 
or in a group meeting. I'm not saying you do this formally and verbally. This is part of our ministering, to lift one another up from wherever we are temporarily, what life is doing to us. We don't lay demands on one another. We don't command them to be in the spirit. When you're young, you might respond to that. When you're older, it don't work no more, okay? <laughs> you know, you're just not going to respond to somebody's command. But this is real. And sometimes, without any reference to this at all, you're fellowshiping with someone, and then when you, you know, go back home from that, you wonder, where have I been? I'm just revived. I'm just refreshed. Well, you went to heaven. By Christ is the ladder. Little d, whenever we turn to our spirit, we enter through the gate of heaven and touch the throne of grace in heaven through Christ as the heavenly ladder. Our spirit is the receiving end of the divine transmission, whereas the throne of God is the transmitting end. If we are to actually experience and enjoy this all-inclusive, extensive, preeminent Christ, we need this experience. And the Lord knows we need this. This is a condition for Christ being our life. We're on the earth. We're in ever-complicated situations. But the Lord in the heavens is mindful. And Hebrews 4 tells us we do not have a high priest. Listen to this. Who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So when a weakness is gripping you, where an infirmity is temporarily dominating you. You have feelings about it. He's touched with the feeling. You're not even praying, but he's touched. So he immediately goes into action to minister to you. And the transmission is coming. And eventually you turn to your spirit and it reaches you. What kind of care is this? And so our whole life is under the throne from the transmission. And when this transmission reaches us, then this enables us to really experientially enter into our one position with Christ. Lord, the transmission reached me. Now, by the ladder, I'm where you are. I'm above all the enemy is doing. And we're here under your supreme authority. And this is where he becomes our life. B, the life of God is the life of Christ. 
And the life of Christ has become our life. For Christ to be our life means that he is subjective to us to the uttermost. Because it's hard to say where your life is, but it's really not in your hair. When I go to the barber shop and they cut my hair, I don't, life doesn't drain out of me. If a brother loses his hair and is bald, he doesn't have any less life. The life's not in my fingernails, right? It's somewhere in the depths. So now for Christ to be our life, as I indicated a little while ago, we need to give him access to the depths of our being and for him to settle there, make his home there, not visit, but live, stay there. Two says, it is impossible to separate a person from the life of that person. For a person's life is the person himself. Okay, this point is now extremely crucial. To say that Christ is our life means that Christ has become us and that we have one life and one living with him. So this is why I say this is the most intimate of experiences, the most personal. For you are willing to live out Galatians 2.20, your old man has been crucified with Christ. Now Christ lives in you. And now you're opening your whole being to this person to be your life and live in you. Then in response, you live in union with him. You live him out. Your human living is the expression of Christ living in you. But in actuality, this means that Christ is you. And sooner or later, and this is, may sound depressing, it's not depressing, the truth is always liberating. You will realize, now I understand. I am the problem. The me. My person. Itself is the problem. And so I agree that this old man, the old I, has been crucified, and now I'm still here, but another person, Christ, is becoming me. Yet, the particular characteristics he created us with, and that he has redeemed, and will uplift in resurrection, remain. So we will be recognizing one another in the New Jerusalem. We'll see John is different from Peter, who's different from Paul. We will all have our identity, but it will be an identity expressing Christ, our life. 
So the Lord is never going to set aside the person he created. He terminates the fallen part, redeemed the created part, then uplifts in resurrection the redeemed created part. And now, but now, Christ is the person living in you. And so he becomes us. What could be more tender, delicate, intimate than allowing Christ to be you? To replace the natural you with himself. But you're still here. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Okay, that means I'm gone. But Christ lives in me. Well, me, isn't me I? If I say I run has received a bottle of water given to me, isn't the me, the I, and the Ron? But this is a new me. It's not the me of the old I. It's a new me, which um, I have to be careful. If I go to Korea, where the saints are totally open and responsive, I'm not saying you're not, but they have, they have a particular way. They are immediately, swiftly, open if I suggest oh I think this would be a a darling name for a baby girl new me right new me Kim (laughs) I did this once and uh, I said I know a a sister she's in the training her name is Vine but I don't know anyone named Branch (laughs) and so I come a year later And then a couple comes up to me with an infant. Brother Ron, we'd like you to meet Branch. (laughs) And so maybe it's already too late. Maybe electronically they will get this word 10 minutes after the message. And when I go there in December, there'll be new me's all over the place. But anyway, um, we're a new me. And so this new me lives, the Christ who lives in the new me, but by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself up for you. Three, with Christ as the believer's life, there are three characteristics which distinguish it from the natural life. The sentences are so simple that the truth is profound. So when Christ becomes our life, this life is a crucified life. So the cross is always present, operating to touch something contrary to Christ. Just spontaneously operating. It's so normal, and we want it to operate. I don't want to be in myself. I welcome the operation of the cross to go into function. This is the self-run. Turn right now. Don't stay here. You're in your disposition. 
And your disposition is temporarily giving you a mood that human life is absurd and meaningless. So, ooh, this is my disposition. I, ooh, I don't want to stay there. I'll be the first one to be unhappy. I'll spread misery everywhere. The Lord says, I'm here to rescue you. You know, away with your disposition. I'd like you to have my happy, joyful disposition, replacing that. I have to use this word, that lugubrious disposition, okay? Oh, for Scrabble players, this will, this will score you a victory. Lugubrious, L-U-G-U-B-R-I-O-U-S. It is being serious and solemn to the point of extremity. You're just so serious about everything. Everything is tragic. Everything is weighing on you. And this, this doesn't facilitate very much enjoyment of Christ. And so, this life is a crucified life. This life is a resurrected life. The life itself is resurrected. You don't have to try to resurrect anything. Resurrection is just spontaneous. You need resurrection life. Here it is. And this is a life hidden in God. So we have Matthew 6 there concerning the reality of the kingdom. And if we want to live in the, re the reality of the kingdom, then we need to pay attention to these verses. The Lord says, don't be like those who, who when they pray, they do it in public to get, draw attention. When they give something, Everybody knows I'm doing this. When they fast, they walk around with a distorted face so you're impressed with how serious they are. He said, when you pray, pray in secret to your father. The father's in secret. The father who's in secret sees in secret. And whatever possible, whatever you give, you give in secret. There are times, of course, when we need to open up our situation, if something we're going through of suffering. But there are other times when the Lord doesn't want you to say anything. And so there may be something going on in your being, no one knows. And you don't have the liberty to seek out sympathy in this case. But all of us need to have this hidden life with God. Because it's part of the nature. So Paul says, Christ, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Then when Christ, our life, is manifested, then the reality in us will be manifested. So these are three characteristics. 
that will just emerge when you take Christ, the person, as your life. These characteristics will be emerge, will emerge, and you'll have certain experiences with the Lord. Even you might be alone in the house, you're just rejoicing, you're dancing before the Lord. And you don't come to the meeting two days later and say, oh, I was beside myself with joy, I was dancing in my pajamas early in the morning. You, you do that, you'll feel dead within because that was not meant to be publicly shared. That's part of your personal history with the Lord. Maybe some years later, like Paul did 14 years later, after being carried away to the third heaven and also to paradise, you might mention it. So I guess I can apply this example to tell you that in 1973, I went to bed earlier and I just got just full of joy full of joy in the Lord, so I came down the stairs and the family is there. And so I began, I spontaneously began to sing a song and dance in my pajamas. The joy of the Lord is your strength, amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength, amen. He is all things to me and his spirit sets me free. Yes, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But that didn't happen last night. And then I just recklessly talk about it. And that isn't to try to motivate you to dance in your pajamas tomorrow morning. It's just an indicator that part of our life is hidden with Christ in God. C, to seek the things which are above and set our mind on them is to, be join, is to join ourselves to the Lord in his heavenly ministry, his divine enterprise. This is to live Christ, to have a living that is one with Christ's living. So suppose the sister's at home, she's cooking or she's ironing, or doing dishes. But she's also in her spirit. And the Lord transmits to her spirit a burden to pray about a certain person. Many of you have experienced this. You just realize an urgency. So now you are connected to Christ's heavenly ministry. And you may lay aside what you're doing, or if you can't do it, you just enter into the Lord's intercessory prayer. There are situations where lives have been spared because saints responded. They didn't know what was going on until a lot later. Why, why do I have the burden to pray for this person? But I'm, I have to, I'm pressed to, Lord, you know what's going on. Then he gives you the utterance. Or even about the world situation. And about the pathetic political situation in the U.S. with how many 
liberals are running for president. Well, I don't vote Republican. I don't vote Democrat. I don't vote for any party. I vote for the throne. I'm a theocrat. I vote for the throne. Lord, whom do you want to win that election? We don't agree with what the enemy wants, but you want. This affects the whole earth. It affects your recovery. We won't be passive, but we don't have any political feelings. This shows that we're linked to this. One, in his heavenly ministry, Christ today is living as the high priest to intercede for the churches. I believe the Lord wants to give us prayers for China and Hong Kong. What's going on there? What is the enemy trying to do? What would the Lord want to do? Is that going to end up being a repeat of Tiananmen Square? Some of you have to do a Google search to find out what that was. And so when we are one spirit with the Lord, then we can instantly join him in his heavenly ministry especially by praying. Or sometimes you have the, the, you have to call a companion and say, can we pray right now about this? For some reason, this is urgent. And then the two of you are in the reality of Matthew 18. You're in the reality of the body of Christ and you sisters are binding and loosing. I was in my office at Living Stream one morning, and uh, there's a group of experienced serving sisters that were meeting together for prayer. And they sent one of them to my office, representing them with a question. And they said, can we participate in spiritual warfare? I said, certainly. You're members of the body. But you need to be covered. But don't worry. We will cover you. You're covered. Because they were facing a life or death situation with a young sister. And they know they had to deal with the enemy. And they did. And that sister was delivered. Uh, two, in his heavenly ministry, Christ today is living as the heavenly minister to supply the saints with the riches of Christ. So he's the heavenly minister, and what he really enjoys doing is supplying you. Have you ever had an experience like this? For some reason... You may be spending time with the Lord or you're just contacting the Lord while you're doing other things. And there is this strong influx of life. It just flows into you. It uplifts you. It energizes you. And you know this is not a result of your own exercise. 
But it just empowers you. And then shortly after that, something quite drastic happens that would affect you very much. An accident, an illness, whatever it is. The Lord saw this coming. For some reason, he's not preventing it. But he prepared you for it. I mean, what a person we have. That we can be so restful and secure and safe about the future. The Lord knows. He'll never leave us unsupplied. He's ministering heaven as an atmosphere into us. He's ministering the riches of Christ. Three, in the heavenly ministry, Christ today is living as the universal administrator of God's government for the accomplishment of God's purpose. In Revelation 4 and 5, we have a vision of our central government. (coughs) And in Revelation 1 through 3, we have a vision of the local churches as the embassies. Through the seven spirits, what is in the heavenly headquarters is transmitted into the churches as the embassies. I believe that the Lord intends to uplift the prayer ministry of the churches all over the earth. And we come together to join Christ in his administration. And he will release prayers that will carry out on earth the decisions of the throne of God. In Revelation 8, we have the record of another angel, which is Christ, being at the altar. And he has golden bowls, which are the prayers of the saints. And to these bowls, these prayers, he adds incense. So then the prayers ascend to the throne. And immediately... There is a powerful reaction from the throne. And Brother Lee, in the life study, says something that eventually we will get into. He said, I'm not charging you to pray like this now. But the time will come when the situation in the world on earth will be so evil, so unrighteous, you will cry out to God, Lord, when will you vindicate your name, your righteousness? When will you come in to judge all of this lawlessness? And my wife and I are learning, there have been times where we shared this feeling. When certain things happen, you just realize the Lord is provoked. He is being blasphemed. His authority 
is being attacked. We call on him, vindicate yourself, vindicate your righteousness, vindicate your recovery. Lord, the leadership at every level is right now under attack. The leadership in the church, the work in the ministry is under attack through a corporate rebellion. But we do not live in fear. We know there's a government, there's a throne, there's a righteous God. And we will bring to him our urgent requests and be the embassies. Then he will transmit through the churches his answer. This we have to look forward to. Little b. What takes place in the local churches should be under the direction of the throne of God in heaven. So any brother bearing responsibility in the church, the ministry, and the work has to realize this. Everything is under the direction of the throne. No co-worker, no ministering brother, no elder in himself has the position or the authority to direct anything. We are all under the direction of the throne in the heaven. So our responsibility is to transmit that, to represent that, to communicate that, but not to initiate that. I repeat that. What takes place in the local churches should be under the direction of the throne of God in heaven in order for the recovery to be the Lord's recovery. It must be under his direction. We are in the Lord's recovery. It never was Watchman Nee's recovery. It never was Witness Lee's recovery. Some thought, oh, when Witness Lee passes away, that will be the end. But it wasn't the end. As Brother Lee himself said, the Lord will go on through a group of blended brothers. And the recovery is going on because it's not someone's recovery. (coughs) It's the Lord's recovery. The last section, that Christ is our life, is a strong indication that we are to take him as life and live him in our daily life. Christ must be our life in a practical and experimental way. Day by day, we need to be saved in his life. Romans 5.10, much more, we shall be saved in his life. And Brother Lee has life study messages on Romans that are briefly summarized. I'll read them to you shortly, about what we will experience in being saved in life. So I believe you all believe Romans 5.10. Much more we shall be saved in his life. 
But let's consider this. But again, let's consider it positively. Okay? Can we say we're in the much more? Can we say, and we can be able to say, brothers and sisters, my life, day by day, is in the much more. I need a lot of salvation. And how do I know I'm in the much more? Well, it's because I took an action in response to somebody's prayer to complete the cycle. What cycle? Paul wrote the word. Brother Lee ministered the word, being saved in his life. And we received the word. We believe it. We receive it. We complete the cycle when we pray it back and apply it to ourselves. <coughs> like David in 2 Samuel 7, when God prophesied that David will not build a house, God will build him a house, and a descendant from David will be God's son, and his son will build the house, and his kingdom will be established. And David didn't just accept it, say, thank you, prophet. He sat down before the Lord and prayed it back. And he said, Lord, do as you have spoken. And so when we read Romans 5.10 much more, we shall be saved in his life. And we learn from the ministry the aspects of being saved in his life. It facilitates, it speeds things up when we pray simple, direct prayers. Lord, save me in life today. So here are the subpoints to be saved in the divine life from the slavery of sin. The law of sin <coughs> is by the release of the law of the consummated spirit. Some may need to pray, Lord, save me from this besetting sin. By the law of the spirit, I need to be saved. I, I need a savior. I'm not ashamed to say that. Two, to be saved in the divine life from the present age of the world is by the sanctification of the consummated spirit. Lord, save me from this present evil age. Save the young people from being conformed to this age. Lord, sanctify me. Three, to be saved in the divine life from our natural being is by the transformation of the life-giving spirit. If you want to be transformed, why not say, Lord, transform me a little more today. For to be saved in the divine life from individualism is by being built up in the body of Christ. To be saved in the divine life from self-likeness is by the confirmation of the life-imparting spirit. 
to be saved in the divine life from our body of humiliation is by the transfiguration in the virtue of the divine life. To be saved in the divine life is to reign in the divine life. To be saved in the divine life will result in the victory over Satan. The new man is the spontaneous issue of our taking Christ as our life and living him. And so when we take him as our life, then what he will want to do by being our life is to save us in life. He doesn't tell you, try hard to improve, try to do better, okay, give you another chance. No, that's not in the realm of God's economy. I'm ready to save you. I have a solution to everything. I am producing overcomers. Would you like me to reproduce you as one? I'm very good at this. Then why not ask me? Don't you want to be an overcomer? Then just say, Lord, Lord, make me an overcomer. What do you think he will say? He will say, no, I want you to be defeated. Never. Not, Not that many are praying, Lord, make me an overcomer. So a lot is going to be going on day by day. We've been reconciled. We've been regenerated. Now we're being sanctified, renewed, transformed, conformed, eventually glorified and built up. But all of this becomes our experience when we are willing And this may be a gradual thing. But when we are willing to tell the Lord personally. Between now and the time I see you, I want to be fully matured in the divine life for your body, the new man, and the bride. So I'm asking you, to save me in life in every way and to train me to reign in life by the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And on my part, I just turn my heart to you and open my being to you and say, Lord, here I am today. I only have today. I consecrate this day to you. Grow in me. Increase in me. Be real in me. And day by day, he will increase until we can say with one mouth and one voice, Christ, our life. So please pray now, and then we'll have a final sharing.